0: Lord, I just pray that your word would minister to us. And Lord, I pray that, that as we see this stark contrast tonight between Paul's view of what a church should look like and Christianity should look like and the Corinthians' view of what church is at that moment, that there would be a genuine pricking in our heart by your Holy Spirit, that if in any way our hearts and minds reflect or resemble this Corinthian monstrosity, that we would get that purged from us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray for every one of us, we would not say, is it them, Lord, but rather is it me? That's me included, Lord. That we would know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering be conformed to your death. And we've been crucified with you. No longer I or we who live, but you who live within us. And the life we now live in that flesh, we live by faith in you, Jesus, the Son of God, who loved us and gave yourself for us. So make us such people even as we read your word now that if we were buried with you through baptism and the death just Jesus as you were raised from the dead by the glory of the fathers even so Lord let us walk in that newness of life united together not only in the likeness of your death but also now to be in the power and the likeness of your resurrection the new life make it so I pray May your Holy Spirit minister to each of us. May tonight you revolutionize our hearts, we pray. And may we have so much fun in your word, even as you do the surgery necessary. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say tonight as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. History is full of stories that we might call tragedies of unrequited love. Stories like Romeo and Juliet that become so popular in some cases because of the extremity of the performance of their love and in some cases because of the sheer tragedy of it not being returned. And yet, can I just be honest, obviously the greatest of those unrequited love stories is God with humankind in its general mass. And yet you see a bit of that here in this. It really is, I mean, the Corinthian letters make me very, very sad. Uh, One of the reasons is because this is a pastor who's writing to these people. He's an apostle in the sense that he's been sent out to plant churches. He had been sent out by Jesus himself. And he has been traveling now for at least five years from the time that he was at this place here in Corinth. He was there for three years. From the first Christians to developing them, to investing in them. I don't know what that is either, so that just will keep you on your edge, by the way. That sound. But I'd like you to think about the fact that Paul was there about as long as I've been here. So look around. It's three years. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying check me out on Paul. That's not it at all. I'm just trying to give us a reference of how long it's been that Paul was there. And imagine leaving and being gone for a couple of years and checking up on you guys. Now the difference is some of you actually knew Christ before you came into this fellowship. Some of you at least had heard of him before you had accepted him. These people, for the most part, hadn't even heard of him. He was a brand new idea all the way around the board. But for three years, all Paul did was invest in these people. He taught them, he discipled them, he he sought to strengthen them. And then Paul went on. And as Paul went on, he had wound up in Ephesus, and he's going to spend some time there, and as he's in Ephesus teaching at the school of Tyrannus, he gets this letter. It seems to have been sent by Chloe's household. One of the people that apparently seemed to be, at least the the property was sort of a landmark for the church. Maybe it was where the church matter, a good portion of the people lived. But it was sent with kind of a great concern. And it had been sent, it looks like, by the hands of three guys, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. And these guys kind of show up with this letter. And the letter basically says, and again, the first six chapters, hey, you know, we, Paul, I know you love these guys. This is your church. Uh, you've, you've seen them plant them. I mean, it's Christ's church. Where we have that? But, man, I, I got to tell you, it seems to me like some things are getting really funky here at this church and it's just something's really I can't even necessarily put my finger on it but here's what the situation is I mean these people are like they're divided and they're they are just so full of jealousy and bitterness and selfish ambition and what about me and how come I did it and how come you do and, and oh yeah well I'm of this group and you're of that group and, and you know And after you Paul Apollos came in and he was such a gifted speaker and some people really kind of connected with him and and so they're they're all wearing, I'm with Apollos shirts. And some are like, I was here when the church was started by Paul shirts, you know. And it just seems so weird because it just doesn't look like church to me anymore. It's just all about them now. And, and I, I don't know if I can put it into words, Paul, but I'm just kind of hoping maybe you can send a letter to them and maybe kind of encourage them. Kind of get back to them and, and let them know, you know, what you see. Oh, and we do have some questions, and we thought that you would be the best guy to answer them. And so from chapter 7 on, Paul will say now concerning the things you wrote me, and so from chapter 7 through the rest of the book, marrying meat, giving idols, men and women, you know, um, spiritual gifts, the act of love, that's chapter 13, 14, how we practice that in church, and then how we give, you know, and then goodbye, that's basically the rest of the book. But he's like, man, there's like the churches, And so Paul starts kind of sniffing around the edges, and this is what he sees. And Paul lays out his appraisal like a doctor. The problem is, Paul is doing a long-distance diagnosis. He's not there. And that would be rough. It isn't like he has Skype, or he could, you know, whip out his iPhone and call these people. All he gets is the information he has through this letter. And what he sends like a good doctor, he says, well, here's my diagnosis. You know what the problem is? You guys are carnal the problem is somehow in it you've kind of taken your eyes off the lord and when you take your eyes off the lord it's going to be about you now i don't know how that plays out in every different person uniquely but that's just paul says and I, there are certain symptoms that are that that make that really clear he says in 1 corinthians chapter 3 verse 3 and flip back there so you kind of get the idea he says you're still carnal for where there's envy And what envy is, is you're you're jealous of somebody else and what they're doing or what they get and you don't. Strife, and that's the whole idea that you're spending all your energy trying to do something to make sure that you get it for yourself and not for someone else. And divisions. Black people on this side, white people on this side, old people over there, young people over here. Wealthier over there, you get nicer seats. The big tithers get the plaque and the big padded chairs. The rest of you can sit in the wooden ones. And he looks and he goes, don't you just see it? If somebody walked into the church and this is what they saw. I mean, here's the problem. Let's be honest. Anything that manifests outside, there's like 500% inside that we're not manifesting. Does that make sense? I mean, you don't get to see the full brunt of it. And what if somebody could walk in and had keen insight into all of our hearts? What would they see? What would they say? Now, the sad part really isn't just that Paul appraises this, because he says, you know, what you need to do is get to the back of the queue again. That's really the simple of it, it. It's like the moment you think that you, somebody cut in front of you in the queue, and you're upset about it, clearly there's a problem here. But the biggest problem is, is that we have Second Corinthians and we know where it goes from here. And where it goes from here is that the people, apparently there's somebody, and all it takes is one person, by the way. I mean, it, the more the worse. Because Jesus promised that, if you remember, when he says in Matthew 13, that the kingdom of heaven is like a single woman who hid three measures of leaven, yeast in a, in a, in a bread, an unleavened bread, and the whole thing got infected. It didn't take more than one woman to hide it. It wasn't like there was an army of people that came in that were like the eleven rebels or anything like that, you know. You know, it was like, it was just one person who kind of got in there. All you had to do was sneak it in. That was all it took. But let's face it. Isn't it sad? In this world, you need to know, in this world, the degrading is what wins. If everybody was sick in here but one person, the one person's wellness isn't going to infect the rest of the people with wellness. But if one person comes in here hacking up a lung, it's fairly likely that someone else is going to walk out of here with it if they're not careful. That's the world we live in. It isn't going to be like that forever, but it is like that here. And the church is susceptible because we're human beings. And someone walks in, and did you hear the thing about Alfred? And all oh, about that. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, that little thing spreads into all kinds of crazy stuff, and something grows. And you may have a cold, but it turns into a full-blown flu for the next person. And then it gets pneumonia for the third. And you're like, but all I had was this. And the reason I say that is, because <clears throat> by the time Paul gets to 2 Corinthians, they're actually treating Paul like he's a nincompoop. He's like, who are you? They even say we want your get this letter of commendation. Do you know what that is? That's like asking, "All right, Paul, where is your letter of ordination? Where is your degree?" And Paul, if, can you imagine? Paul is like mind blown. I mean, can you imagine? He's really, really hurt. See, so he looks like, "How could you do this? How could you possibly think this of me?" Aren't you my letter of recommendation? I mean, what's the truest proof of a ministry or a minister than the ministry? You guys came to Christ, and Paul feels like he has to defend himself. And then he says, you know what? I feel like I'm being a fool for you guys. I'm acting like an idiot just to try to defend myself. What am I doing? Why am I even defending myself on this? Don't you know? I've invested my life in you. Look at you guys. Now, the good news is, that's not my message to you. I really feel like we're the opposite of that. But here's my warning. is I don't think that when Paul was there, that that was the case. Somewhere down the line, someone got big mouthed, a little influential, and the whole thing started to turn. And I don't even think the person thought that they were doing evil. Because that's usually the way that looks. Is they're convinced that what they're doing is right. And now you have people that are of Paulus, and you have people that are of Paul, and he looks and he goes, you know, you guys just look like a bunch of people that don't know Jesus at all. You might as well go to the clubs, and people say, well, the church just looks like the rest of the world. And Paul would say, this one does. But you know the most amazing thing is he never doubts their salvation. Even in all of that. I mean, a guy sleeping with his mom in the church applauds their tolerance. People are suing each other for which Paul goes mental over. They're divided in all of their little groups and their subgroups. Like, you're not a Christian, but you're a blank Christian. You know, whatever that is. The moment you add another word to it, there's already problems. I want to warn you. And that could be race, that could be status, that could be education, that could be you know, it's like we're Christians, we're, we're Chinese Christians here, we're messianic Christians here. You know, we are we're the businessman Christians. Now I understand the idea that we're gonna have a bunch of businessmen get together, but sooner or later what happens is one of the two words is gonna win. Please let it be Christian, let it be Jesus. In this chapter. Paul is bringing conclusion to their last chapter where they're saying, you know what, this whole Apollos-Paul thing, you know, it's like, the hard part is it's really hard to tell whether Apollos was playing into it or not. He may have been. Tends to be that heady guys can sometimes do that. Paul clearly wasn't. He was never trying to make it a Paul versus Apollos thing. Can I say, for what it's worth, when we left Morro Bay, our hearts were broken because we loved, we loved, we loved, we loved those people, as you might imagine. But I knew when I sat down with the pastor, two things: one is I could not come back for any serious period of time for a while, anyways, and the second was that we would never—we knew no matter what the circumstances were here, we would never be able to go back there permanently. And the reason was in love for the pastor. We left in regards that left to oversee that church. We never wanted people to compare. Out of love for him, I left what I loved to give him the space to be who he needed to be. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying, check me, I look at how great I am. I'm just going to say, I, I get this a little bit. And I get the idea that Paul isn't going back right away, perhaps for that reason. He's like, oh, I am coming. But I'd love for you guys to get this straight before I get there, instead of me having to come in like a sheriff with my guns loaded. Does that make sense? So, the reason I say that is is we can read this and we can make it almost like a dry legal document, but I'd like you to see these tears that are staining these pages. This is a guy that's hurt here. Now, please, please, please hear me in this. God never said that the politic of the church was going to be rosy, He said it would be stained with problems because it involves people. Don't you ever for a moment blame Jesus for the politic or the history of the church. That's His bride. Don't pick on her either because he still loves her. If you have a problem with it, be different. How's that for a, an idea? But when Paul lays this out, he's going to say, you know, we've gotten to the point now where there's two totally different Christianities. The one that I gave you when I was there and the one you're practicing right now. But you know what's really frightening? How much the one that the Corinthians here looks like a lot of what we can see today and could happen here if we were not careful. And I am confident that as we go through this, we will agree, we can nod our heads to everything that's in here and still practice that same Christianity in our own hearts. So please hear me in this. If we were really genuinely candid and for real, for real Christianity here, we kind of let God take out the greater a little bit and start cutting open some things. Does that make sense? You know, the revival has never taken place out in the lost first. You know why? Because you can't revive something that's never been vived. Revival has to happen in the church because they're the only ones that have been alive to revive. You don't have a revival in a place where there's only been death. That revival spills out into the world. But I can guarantee you that real revival starts with circumcised hearts. This is what he says. Paul starts with his own. 4 1. Look at it with me. Let a man so consider us. Now, again, remind you that the bottom line before this was this whole problem between Paul and this Apollos guy, this fancy talker. He goes, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, for it is required in servants that one be found faithful. Let me give you three things that Paul's Christianity, and can I dare say God's Christianity, looks like. Are you ready? This is what you grow to become. Number one, a servant. And I love this word. The word is uperetis. Can you say uperetis? Say it again because it's Greek. You can't say uperetis. Beautiful. It literally means under rower. And it's such a beautiful word or an under oarsman. Please hear me. The idea of being a pastor is not the idea of me deciphering where the need is in the church, taking CVs and figuring out who's most qualified for that job. A real servant of God does not get into your boat and steer. A real servant of God gets in your boat and rows. That, let's be honest, takes more work for both of us. I'll tell you why. Because I have a 10-year-old girl with a lazy brain. You know why it's lazy? Because she gets the answers without having to ask more than once. So she'll ask me. She'll point at a carton that says on it, orange juice. And she'll say, what's in that? And I say, ground monkey. You tell me. Because she's just used to having it told to her. Does that make sense? But if you come to church and you want to be used, the no-brain, lazy way to do it is, Pastor, just put me somewhere. And you know, some people will hate ministry because they'll take only what's not theirs. So you know where you wind up? Children's ministry, there's always a need there. We need somebody that can clean up. Now, hey, there's something, and look at the problem is, is that people start to see children's ministry or things like that as a stepping ladder up to a really cool position. Wouldn't that be horrible for the children? To look at them and go, hey, I just want you to know I'm going to do my job well so that you guys can get me voted up to the next level so I can go to the house for the X Factor final. But you know what that happens? Because it's selfish ambition. But if it really happens the right way, you will go mental with me. And I'll tell you why. You'll say, I want to love and serve the Lord. And I'd say, fantastic. It sounds like some of you are like, we've had this conversation. Yes, amen, glory to God. Well, what should I do? Fall in love with Jesus and see what you find yourself doing. Yeah, but but, but what is that going to be? I'm not God. I hope you're aware of that. I want to encourage you. I want to sow into you. I want to invest in you the word so that you have the truth to stand on. A surrender and an abandon from this world and a trust in God's Holy Spirit. And first and foremost with all of that, a love for God's people. And I've learned if you have that, you find yourself supernaturally, naturally doing what you're supposed to. Then you tell someone, hey, I noticed it. You keep noticing that there's stuff on the floor. That's one of the first things you look for is what people see. How would you like to clean up at the end of every... I would love There's a guy in California, he thanked me every week that he got to clean the toilets. Some of you are like, that wouldn't be me. Well, that's because it's not your ministry. Now, there are some things you have to do either way. Grin and bear it and do it. But you know what it's like? It's like over 20, it'll be 25 years of ministry for me as well, that I've never for a second not loved what I get to do. And part of it is because I just can't believe he pays me that I get to do this. But I've learned. Here's my parallel. We'll move on. Because a lot of this picks up. (coughs) My first music lessons, we had inherited a piano on my fourth birthday. A tavern burned down in the south side of Chicago. And so it still smelled like smoke. It was stained black from the smoke. (coughs) But they brought it into our house, and I banged on it relentlessly for a year. And they said, we know how to stop him from doing that. Let's give him lessons. He'll totally stop playing that thing. (coughs) And the first particular teacher I got, I think, came right out of some form of horrible death camp. I mean, she was just so mean and rotten. And it was all math. There was no love in it, right? You must do it this way! Do it this way! And your fingers had to be a certain way. It didn't matter what you were playing, but your fingers had to be a certain way, and everything was all technique. And I appreciated the technique in it. But there was no reason to play after a while. And I had a few of those teachers. And basically, every one of those teachers wanted to make you a little bit better than them and where they were, if that makes sense. I played Chopin! Chopin! So you're going to play Chopin. That's the way that works. Until I turned about seven or eight, maybe nine... And by that point I was already writing and a teacher, one of the new teacher, because that particular one I think was shipped off for visa violations, and, and the person that came sat down and said, they asked me the craziest question, what kind of music do you like? What do you want to do with it? It hadn't occurred to me up to that point, I just did what I was told. Does that make sense? It's like, what do you love doing? And I'm like, well, I kind of love this, and I kind of like this, and I kind of like this. They're like, well, Give me some artists that you appreciate. And I'm like, well, I kind of like this one. and I kind of like this one. You know, piano, I like Bill Evans. I like Vince Guaraldi. It's like, oh, great. Well, then that's that kind of, it's kind of a hard bob, It's a fresh thing. Well, then let's start investing in that. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it. It was like, all of a sudden, it was like the first time I heard music that had a beat to it and now was bouncing around the house. Because all of a sudden now, it was so much more than math. It was love. Does that make sense? It was something that, it was like it matched the pulse of my heart. And we can do the same. In ministry, we could say, I was this kind of teacher. You will be this kind of teacher. Or however you would say it. But that is not an under oarsman. Does that make sense? So from the perspective of the servant, we want to be the ones who row. But from the perspective of the served, because we could be both, You want to keep your eyes on Christ, not on the person, so you can hear from him what he wants you to do. Does that make sense? And what you find is if you delight yourself in the Lord, you will actually delight yourself in serving him in certain certain capacities. And chances are that's where he wants you. I love to sit with people and ask, so when do you sense God's pleasure? What are you doing when you do it? Some people are like, nothing but praising him. I'm like, all right on. Some people, it's like studying for a test. For a, and you are like, really? Yeah, for the word where I just feel like God's going to be preparing me for something cool. Somebody's like, I just being out among the lost. Get me out on the street talking to people. I'm like, all right. How do you under or that? Does that make a difference? Because at that point, someone thanks you. I think you need to be out on the street. Really? I could do that? Yes. Don't there need to be people out there doing that? Some people are like, you know what I like to do? Sit down and hold someone's hands and give them a big hug. And we're not talking about kind of creepy thing. But it's like, you know, just to let them know that they're loved. And you know what you say? Surely do that as much as you like. But you know what happened? Is that sooner or later, you can't—you almost can't believe that it's ministry. But you know why? Because someone told you it was laborious and tedious and horrible. And Paul will say, hey, look, we're beat up in all kinds of horrible things in it. But let me just say, we're called to be under oarsmen in it. Some people, by the way, they have the ministry of baking pies. Can I just say? Right on. Put me on your list, baby. Cherry. Just want to say it? Uh, But, you know, the reason I say this is that whatever the Lord calls you to, when you get to do it, it actually gets to be fun. Hey, don't ask me to seem something. I'm not good at stuff like that. But there are other people in here they are gifted at stuff like that. And you know what happens? When you get to do it, you're like, you know, this is kind of fun. I'm serving the Lord and doing something I enjoy. God's like, you're actually doing something you enjoy because you're serving. And that's one of three things. Are you with me on that? But can you imagine? The opposite of servant is boss. And that's what the world looks like. It's like, you know what, and Paul, understand, at this point, Paul is like, the, like an elder. He's the church planner of this church. You would think if there was anyone other than Christ that was the authority, the human authority of this church, it would be Paul. Does that make sense? This would be the guy that would be like, hey, look at if you want to call someone a pope, it should be me. But he's not doing that. The greatest graduation of a human being in Christ is not to be the guy who has the most servants. Jesus says, you're crawling the wrong way on the pole. Does that make sense? But you know what? Can, and let me just say, I'm going to go right for the throat on this, because it makes me angry that the church decided that they were going to ask the world how to engage the world. And so we started having business seminars on what a successful church looked like. And you know what that meant? Is all of a sudden, you became clients And because you became clients, you went church shopping and you became consumers. You know what a good consumer is? Someone who gives the least and gets the most. And what we've done now is we've turned everyone in the congregation into fat, lazy pigs. While five people stand up here to try to get more people to be fat, lazy pigs so that they can look good as boss. And you know what? It doesn't work on either side. Hey, a real servant should have big arms spiritually, because they've been rowing. Now, understand, part of that is praying for the person because if the person doesn't know where they're going, you're just helping them go in circles faster. To be honest. But I've learned this. If I can in any way get in your boat and row you closer to being fanatically in love with Jesus, it all works out. How's that? Does that work for you? But could you imagine if we all sought to become that? like, you know what I really want to become? A greater servant. The world's going to look at you and say you've been brainwashed. And you can tell them, I have been. God's washed my brain of all of your filth. Second term is the term steward. And I really love this term because the term is oikonomos. It is the same word that is used for for what it's worth in Titus 2 when it talks about women being homemakers. This doesn't mean barefoot and sewing a quilt. You can be that if you want to. There's no crime in that. But the word literally means a house distributor. It's the person that is responsible for all of the goods of the house. They're the person who doles out to the servants what they need. They're the person who pays the person who cuts your lawn. They're the person who makes sure that the children have food. They're the person that's what a house steward is. Does that make sense? I have an amazing house, steward. I love my wife, and I love to watch her serve. Now, granted, there will be times when it's sort of like, hey, I just want you to know you're going up to High Barnett, you'll be picking up 72 bags at the station to take home on a bus. I understand that there are moments like that. But in the end of it all, the resources are there for her to do So glory to God. And then the Lord looks at you, and he says, as you grow, I want you to realize, the Father's speaking, he says, in my house, you're responsible for my goods. You will have the privilege of being able to take the resources I have and invest them in the most important commodity I have, people. Please hear me in this. And this is something Paul had to learn. People will never be tasks, and people resent it when you think they are. You have to side with the person, not the program. And what I've learned is, is that everything else is used to serve people, not enlisting people in the task. That's the beauty of being an under-oarsman versus being the captain. People kind of resent you jumping on their ship and just being captain. Does that make sense? And then he says one more. That it is required for such people to be found faithful. And the word means to be trustworthy or stable. And can I say that what Paul's mature Christianity looks like are servants, stewards, and Stable. That's what it looks like. Faithful means you're not actually thinking maybe you're a Satanist for 25 minutes and then in love with God the next half hour. You're not thinking you're saved now, but in 10 minutes you're actually wondering if you are or not. You stabilize. And you're faithful. You're going to stay where you are in Christ. That doesn't mean you're not given over to temptation, but it doesn't last forever. That's actually here, Jeffrey. It's in this. So, listen, that's what we should seek to. Could you imagine? I mean, honestly, because we can nod and say this is good information, but could you imagine what would happen if this is really where we grew? 2015, January, if the Lord tarries, we sit in the same room and we look and say, Have we become greater servants? Have we become wiser with the stuff God has given us to serve His household? Have we become more stable? Because if we say no, then this Bible study isn't for much, is it? Are you with me on that? So Paul says then, Well, but it is for me a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. The word, by the way, is the word for interrogate or scrutinize. The word there is autocrino. Now I remind you, this carnal church was full of divisions. They were name-dropping. And Paul looks and he says, You know, you guys... Your church, and you guys are looking at me, and you guys are trying to decide whether or not I'm actually called to ministry. You know why? Because a a fleshly, flesh-driven church looks only at the outside. And looking at the outside they'll say you said you did look at what he's doing or look at you you're getting beat up now you're not rich you're not wealthy your people are look at how people are treating you the church what how big how many people come to your church what building do you have how successful is your ministry how many listeners do you have how many people are subscribed to your podcasts cuz that's the external stuff Understand, a flesh-driven church can only look at the outside. And that's exactly what God said, by the way, when he says that man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the levav, the inside, as he was picking David in 1 Samuel. Does that make sense? But Let me tell you how the Lord judges. He goes, Paul says, I'm not judging myself, and I don't think you should either. So stop judging me. Verse 5, he says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. For the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, and then each one's praise will come from God. Here's what God judges, two things, the hidden things and the hard things. And I do love that. Now, when we think of the hidden things in darkness, it's easy for us to think that that must be entirely sin, but it's not always the case because Jesus has often said, if I remind you, that don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He says, when you do things, don't do them out in the open where everyone can see, but do them in private. Bless people in a way so no one else can see that they may not even be able to see. Because it says at the end of this statement, notice it doesn't say, and then God's going to whop you upside the head because when he takes a look at your hidden things and your heart things, he's going to be so furious at you. It says then each man's praise is going to come from God. Could you imagine God praising you for the hidden things and the heart things? But that's where God is. Because what God would rather do is reward than, than wrap you upside the head. Now, these things I have figured will be transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn not to think beyond what is written, that none of you be puffed up on behalf of one against another. What he tells us, by the way, is that when you do get puffed up, which, by the way, he's made clear that knowledge puffs up, he'll tell us that, by the way, in 1 Corinthians later, that not only does it puff you up, but it puts you against each other. Well, We just need to know more. Can I just say we need to love more? For all of the knowledge we get, it should cause us to love each other more. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're just putting more bullets on our bandolero to shoot each other. We'd say, oh, no, no, no. We're going to be a church that just shoots down everything else. Hey, I've learned this. If you give your whole family guns, sooner or later they'll shoot each other. But I've learned this. And I'm not saying, like, Love pathogens love things that are full of wickedness. What I'm saying is love each other enough to say, are we growing to become more servants? Are we growing to become more transparent? Are we growing to become greater stewards with what God has given us to bless each other instead of ourselves with it? Are we actually becoming more stable in Christ? And in that, are we knowing his word better? Are we knowing Jesus better? Because the more I know Jesus, the more I want to be like him. Wouldn't that be great if that's who we were? Do you know what would happen for those who don't know Jesus? They would actually know it they would know there was something different. And if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus here, can I just say that there is an offer for you, and that's what changes people. That God wants to pay for all of your sins because he died on the cross and rose again, and he would love for you to be washed clean and become a new creation. And I'm going to tell you, and if you don't and you're still skeptical, um, I'd say, you know what? Be my guest to just sniff around and see for yourself changed people. Hey, we're still construction sites. He's still working. But you stick around long enough, you're going to see people change right in front of you. You just may see me change in front of you. So he says, listen, you're all puffed up. I can't think. Of, I can't help but think of a puffer fish. Have you ever seen those? They Because what's funny is, is that when they puff up, they don't just become bloated, they become all pointy, right? That's kind of fun too. So it's like, I actually have a friend who had one of those and it was like, puffed up, and then he hung it above his desk. I'm not exactly sure what he wanted to do that for, but every once in a while he would take like a memo and he'd stick it on the the fish just so he wouldn't forget, you know, oh, hey, pick up tomatoes on the way home, you know. But I always thought, man, that thing's just big and it's still dangerous because it's all pointy and prickly, and I'm like, this is what happens when you get puffed up with knowledge, is you get pointy and prickly, that's what you get. You don't become Santa, like big and huggy and jolly, but you become as prickly and nasty. He says in verse 7, What makes you different from someone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it indeed, then why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? It's like, why are you bragging about what God gave you? Isn't that crazy? I speak in tongues more than you. God gave you that. Well, I have the gift of healing and you might not. God gave you that. You realize that? And you're going to brag about it? But you can watch this, by the way. You go and you, and When we handed out gifts in so many other places, we went to Juarez, Mexico. We're told the most dangerous place on earth. We handed out something like, I don't know, 260,000 shoeboxes with the gospel of Jesus Christ and a bunch of like, gifts that were in it for all of these children. I mean, in boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes, as you might imagine. And, and, I, and, and as we did this, it's like these kids would open up and then they would start comparing and you're like, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. You know, oh, I got the, that I got the, you know, it's like, hey, but you both got something you didn't deserve. You know, what's funny was like, well, you got the thing, and you got the thing. I'm like, why don't you just swap? And it like hadn't occurred to them they could do that. They're am like, oh, cool, all right, you know. And then what's funny is the moment they swap, they look at each other and go, actually, I kind of like that better now. Funny how that works, right? It's like, can you really brag? Let's be honest in here. What could you possibly have to brag about? Yeah, it's like the only thing to boast about is Jesus. You know? It's like your hair, God says, I could take that away. Your build, your your looks, your brains, your talent, your whatever it's like, look at how could you brag about something that was a gift? If it's a gift you didn't earn it. And that takes us now to our other side. Do you remember those three things that God says, at least as Paul speaks here about what he says we should become? What are they again? Servants, Servants. Stewards and stable. Okay, with me on that? Let's take a look at the other side. Verse 8. Oh, but you're already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. Oh, indeed I do wish you did reign that we might reign with you. You ready for the three things they are? The first of them is the word full as we see it here. The word for the way, for what it's worth is the word "kenerumi," And it literally means to glutton or to be a constant receiver. So let's say the first word is that they're receivers. They're all about what they get. The second word, as we see it here, is the word "prolecho," And the word means to be rich. They're receivers. They're rich. And they are basilioko. They are rulers. Because this is what you want. You can go to churches, by the way. You know this. And you'll say, you just claim authority over everything. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to claim it. I've heard people say, you know what? I just claimed my healing. I'm waiting for it to be realized. I'm still waiting to figure out what that means. I just took authority over it. You know, it's like, you know what? And you know, look at, I'm not trying to, I don't want to diss it. This is what I'm saying, look it. You can go to places where it's still all about you. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go demon hunting. And all y'all gonna put on your spiritual like guns, your spiritual bazookas, baba bazooka. Oh no, you're never gonna open up that thing. You're just gonna wave it, and then you're just gonna go. Oh, I'm just gonna go hunt some demons because I got the power. Don't mess with me. I'm a man of God. And you can see the enemy going, man. You know what? You just keep talking like this because the more you talk like this, there's no room for Jesus in your heart. Because you're like wearing the big thing and you walk in the room, it's like, whoa, 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 you know? There's like no like there's no like humility throwing yourself on the ground and saying, Lord Jesus, take over me completely. But oh yeah, I'll tell you what God wants. God wants for you to receive and receive and receive. You put a picture of it on your wall and you just keep telling God. Red Bentley, Jesus, Red Bentley. Isn't it an idol at that point? You receive, you receive, you receive, you receive, because you you're rich. And you're a ruler. God wants you rich. God wants you healthy. And God wants you to make sure you have command over everything. Now, can I just say, God does want you to have authority. But what he wants you to have is the kind of authority that gives you the right to lay yourself down before the king of kings. Do you remember when the man that sought help from Jesus, Centurion, says... You know, I don't even have a right to come to your house. But I do know this. I'm a man under authority. I tell this guy, go, and go. And I tell this guy, come, and he comes. Jesus, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled. Do you know, Jesus only marveled twice. He marveled at the lack of faith of one of his own people and and, and the faith of someone who wasn't supposed to be. See, what this guy said is, you know what? I have authority because I'm under authority. I'm under the authority of Rome, and Rome has given me this authority, so I have the authority to say something. And he says, Jesus, I kind of recognize that in you. You have authority that's granted because you've put yourself under the authority of heaven. Hey, look at This is what Paul says. You've been given freedom, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for sin. But rather, through love, serve one another. You're not free to sin, you're free to serve. There's the difference. Hey, so there are places where the whole thing is about how I can receive more, how I can be richer, how I can be more of a, how I can be, I just have more authority in things. But in the end of it all, and look at please, please don't get don't get me wrong on this. Paul just looks and he goes, you know, it's still you first. That's the point of all this. It's just you first, and Paul says that is not how this was planted. Could you imagine? My family, perhaps God willing, this um, may leave for about two and a half, three weeks. They may head to America, and then they'll be coming back. But could you imagine if, when they came back, they were entirely different people? And I'd be like, "Who are you?" You know. You know, all of a sudden they're like, "Well, you know, we're not your children. We're something else." I mean, like, and they, they were just entirely different. I'd be like, "What in the world happened to you?" Can I just say that that's what Paul does? Is he's looking at these people? He's looking at these, who are you guys? This isn't the church I remember. I mean, the church I remember was Jesus first. And we were so excited to love each other and so thankful that God pulled us out of the toilet that we were in. I mean, Corinth, that's Amsterdam. I mean, this is wealthy, big drug money, crazy sex. That's what it was. He's like, man, you guys were so happy to get out of that. Now look at you guys. You're back to like, you're like me first. He's like, you know, and I, I imagine... Paul, and this, please forgive me, this just being a pastor, I can imagine Paul going, I I knew you before you were saved. And I remember how crazy you were. How drug-infested. How sex-driven. How out of control. I mean, you you barely wore something. I had i had handkerchiefs larger than what you wore. You know, that kind of... And then it's like... And then you guys, like, God, you gave your life to Christ. And, man, we saw these beautiful things happen. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't about you anymore. And there was no stress. And there was no striving. And, and we weren't freaking out. And things were uncomplicated. Do you remember those days? And Paul and he goes, What happened to you guys? It's like... It, it's like... I never came. It's like, it's like you guys, it's like the gospel never came here. What happened? Paul goes, let me tell you, you want to join my club? Let me tell you, I know what you're thinking. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull it right out onto the table. Let me tell you what it looks like for us. Verse 9. I think that God has displayed us, that's the apostles' last, as men condemned to death. We've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak. Oh, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we're dishonored. To this present hour, we hunger and we thirst and we're poorly clothed and we're beaten and we're homeless. Man, could you imagine Paul trying to get recruits for his next mission trip? He's bleeding from all kinds of things. His arm is in a sling. The guy's not even wearing hand-me-downs at this point. He's like, you know, it's like every one of us is going to go, you know what, man, Frank, I need to take you to at least, like, one of the charity shops and get you something. You know, one of his shoes, like, has nothing on it left, you know. He looks like a really, a real homeless guy that really hasn't eaten. Not the kind of guy that says, I haven't eaten for days. And you say, let me get you a sandwich. And the guy says, no, I don't like mayonnaise and that kind of thing. Paul's like, you know what? I know that we are hungry. I know that we thirst. I know that we're not super fashionable. Nobody's going to put us on a poster and say, dress like Paul the Apostle. We're beat up. People beat us up for what we do. We don't have a nice hotel to stay in when we do our conferences. When we do men's things or women's things or family things or whatever it isn't like we're all going to go someplace and then make sure we have a nice three-course buffet paul's like i'm just happy to eat anything that's actually food because you know what people look at us and they say what idiots i'm aware of that don't think i'm ignorant people look at us and say those guys are so weak but then they look at you and they think you're so mighty They look at you and they say, wow, look at how great those people are. And then they look at us and go, "And those guys are just idiots. Stupid people. When Paul says in verse 9, we've been made a spectacle, it's an interesting word because it's the word theatron. It's where we get the word theater from it. He's like, you know what we are? We are people's entertainment. That's what we are. When people look at us, we are the thing that entertains them because they can point and they can laugh and it makes them laugh for a long time. This is we labor with, with our own hands, being reviled, which by the way means to be vilified or reproached. We bless. When persecuted, we just endure. When defamed, we entreat. Could you imagine? He's like, let me tell you what we look like. When someone disses us, we seek to bless them. Do you know Why? Because Jesus told us to. He says, bless those who curse you. And you know what's strange? Can you think of anybody on the planet right now that would do that? I mean, what, how much of Christianity blesses those that curse them? It does well to those who spitefully use them. You could go to most churches and they'll tell you, hey, God doesn't, don't, don't, you know what? God didn't really mean that because then you'd be a doormat. Can I just say, God didn't tell you to be a doormat. He told you to be the floor. You're going to get walked all over, but you know what? If that's what it takes for people to walk to Christ, then be worth it. Because in the end of it all, we are not looking at it for the moment, but you're losing your self-respect. Paul says, we're totally dishonored. What's self-respect? Could you imagine somebody coming up and saying, I don't know if I could really go out and share Jesus because it's bad for my self-esteem. Try that on Paul, see what he does. He might pick up a rock and throw it at me. I'll show you what it's like to get beaten for your faith, or lack thereof. He's like, self-esteem, self-made, self-this, self-that. Paul's like, do you hear yourself? How did this become church? He's like, we got beat up because it wasn't about us. Because they hated Jesus. We were homeless, you know, because Jesus was homeless. We were hungry because people didn't want to feed us because we told them the truth. We got kicked out of the synagogue at the potluck because we actually told someone about Jesus. When they actually went and made jokes about us, we actually just said, please, would you come to Christ? We've been made the filth of the world and the off-scouring of things until now. You might have, if you have like a new international... We've been made like the scum of the earth. Today, who would be the scum of the earth? Think of what if you were to say, I mean, sometimes people would say certain terrorists, sometimes people would say certain people with certain kind of problems, whatever. He's like, you know what? The general mass actually isn't going to say that it's I mean, these days it isn't going to be the mass murderer or the, the terrorist. There's going to be a day when Christians, real full on real Christians, people are going to look at and they'll say, you know what? No way. And our job isn't going to stop until we show how stupid you guys are. We are not done until then. Read the trains. But Paul says, I don't say this so that you guys would feel horrible about yourself. Because I know right now it's all about yourself anyway. So listen, verse 14 he says, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I just want to warn you. Paul's like, please, please remember this. I love you guys because you're my kids. As though you might have had 10,000 instructors in Christ. you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I've begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, please imitate me. Imitate what? Can I remind you? Uh, fools, weak, distinguished. I'm sorry, sorry, dishonored. Hunger, thirst, poorly clothed, beaten, homeless. Last, condemned, spectacles. Labor with your hands, reviled, persecuted, defamed, filth of the world offscouring. Imitate me! For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you. Gives you an idea who brought the letter to him. Who is my beloved and faithful son? In other words, you guys, you've forgotten what it's like to be sons. Can I send one to you? How's that for food? Who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord? He's going to remind you of, the, of, of my ways in Christ as I teach in every church, not just you guys. Last couple verses and we're done. Now some are puffed up. Remember that puffed up? That's what put people against each other. As though I were not coming to you. Oh, they think they're the hot thing. I ain't going to look so good when I get there. But I will come to you shortly. And I remind you, Paul's beat up. He's homeless. He's hungry. He's in great condition to go on a toe-to-toe with someone, isn't he? I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not just about word, but it's about power. So, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love and in the spirit of gentleness? You can get the idea. Paul's like, look at, we're gonna we're gonna hash this out one way or another. The question is, which way do you want me to deal with it? Do you want me to deal with this with a stick or with a hug? Now look, if you guys want to put yourself on one side and say, "Paul, prove yourself," this is going to get ugly. But if on the other side, what you're saying is, "You know what, Paul? We're a mess and we need help," then I've got a full hug for you here. You know that's going to happen. Please hear me. I didn't pick this text tonight. God did. We just started left. We started where we left off last week. But let's be honest, beloved. We crave the wrong kind of Christianity, don't we? It kind of just makes us, puts us first, makes us look good. Jesus is there to add, to serve you and to add to your life instead of actually take it over. I get why Jesus says, Not many who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because to say, Lord, Lord, does not mean you mean it. When you say, Lord, Lord, get me something. No, no, Lord, Lord. That's not what I want. Jesus is like, perhaps your idea of Lord and mine are different. And it's time for us to lay ourselves down. Now, please understand, I recognize this with marriage. We committed ourselves to saying, I do, every day. You didn't just say, I say, I do, that's good enough. You say, I say, I do commit to saying, I do, from this point forward when you say yes to jesus you're saying i do surrender to you jesus and i give you the right to take me over every moment from this point on not just those moments that i really like you to take out my garbage my rubbish but those things that you think are rubbish that i still like take them those things that are sentimental knickknacks of my own pagan attitude that are still me first and what about me and how come me and how come this and You shouldn't, and I, you know, it's like the bottom line in all of it, beloved, is we all do it. And you know why? Because, and this is how it concludes, because the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit wars against the flesh. They're contrary to each other, so you don't even do what you want to. That is Galatians chapter 5. And he says then, the works of the flesh are evident. And he starts to show what they are. Turn there for a moment. Let's actually go there because I can't just summarize that. We've got just a couple minutes so we're actually on time here. Galatians chapter 5. Picking it up in verse 16, this is what it says. I say that walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, or rages or wars against. And these are contrary to one another. There's no way the two are going to be able to sit in the same room, you know, nicely. So that you don't do the things that you wish. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works. Can you say works? Is that singular or plural? Plural. That should be simple. Singular or plural? Plural. Plural. Works. Of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. You get that. That's sexual sins. (coughs) Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, which includes bitterness, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. That's all you can see. That's all self-driven. Dissensions. That's the idea, by the way, of, oh, yeah, well, you are and I'm not, and so forth. Heresies. Envy. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelries. And that's the party lifestyle and of the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you when times passed, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and I love it when God says something heavy and he gives a but in there. But the fruit of the Spirit. Can you say fruit? Singular or plural? Singular. Oh, you want to say, you want to say plural, but it's singular, isn't it? Fruit. Don't be parted. don't, don't play that fruits game with me. Take the word for what it is. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now listen, let me build on this for a second, and I want to pray. Fruits. No. Fruit. Work. No. Works. Listen. If you've ever seen anyone get hit by lightning, or ever, been, ever met anyone who has, you'll learn that where it enters is not necessarily the most dangerous thing. I've been electrocuted on a few occasions. I don't recommend it. If you want a reason to try to call me weird, pick that. That's okay, too. It's where it exits that's the problem. No matter how you get blasted, where it manifests is going to be the issue. Because it tends to blow off a nose, take off an ear, whatever. Lightning. It tends to do that because it's pretty hot. Are you with me so far? It may have gone in through your head, but if it pops out of your pinky, the pinky is going to be the part that needs the greater healing. Hear me on this. God says the works... Ergos, it means the activities, of the flesh are evident. Oh, you're going to see them. Plural, because the issue is not where it enters, it's where it exits. And it doesn't have to exit the same place it came in. I know a person, we've had the privilege of praying with several people who were crazy mass murderers, who did things it's best I never tell you. But the, the things that they did, they didn't invest in. Violent, horrible, torturous things for which, by the way, they never were violent before. They didn't watch lots of violent things. As a matter of fact, in one case, the person was just totally consumed by pornography. Not even violent pornography, but pornography. See, that was the lightning entering. But where it exited could be several places. See, that's why it's plural. It could be anyone or a multiplicity thereof. What feeds your flesh can be almost anything if you're not careful. Friends can feed your flesh. Watching football can feed your flesh. Hanging out with the wrong what you watch, what you listen to can feed your flesh. Anything that tries to put you at the front of the queue is feeding your flesh. Do you get it? Makes you think about you, your self-respect, your self-esteem, your this your self-that, whatever that is. And friends say, you just need to look out for yourself, and over the, over just, and they try to get you thinking about yourself, and that, listen, it's feeding your flesh, and any one of those things could start to manifest. You watch people, and all of a sudden they're drunk, and they're totally wasted, and they don't know what happened, and they're like, I wasn't like any place, but it, their flesh was getting fed, and then appetites get aroused from that. Does that make sense? That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The fruit, Is singular but wait a minute pastor tony it's love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control listen it's singular because if you invest in the spirit all of those things will manifest because they're all one fruit do you get it that's the good news If we are genuinely seek to invest spiritually the way God intends it to be spiritually, we get at the back of the queue, Jesus is at the front, and the rest of us are in between. And when that starts to happen, all of these things start to manifest. The question is, what kind of church, not do we want to be, do you want to be? Because you're only as good as your source material. And the church, as we're aware of, are just people. We can't have an awesome church without awesome people. You can't have a selfless loving church without selfless loving people. But God wants it. And what if we sought to invest spiritually in each other? Because we could probably, I bet if we thought about it, we could probably draw the flesh out of any one of us if we tried hard enough. A little sarcasm, a couple dirty jokes, a little this, a little that, whatever it is. We're actually pretty good at farming the flesh. Now, what if we actually learned how to invest spiritually in each other? Could you imagine what would happen? We'd actually start looking like Jesus. I've heard it said that the battle of the flesh and the spirit is like two dogs fighting, and the one that wins is the one you feed. So as we go to prayer, I just want to pray for every one of us. And please understand, that's me too. I'm human like the rest of us. And believe it or not, I get fleshly like the rest of us. I'm sure you believe it. That's not false humility. That's called reality. And understand in that, what we need is to invest spiritually in each other. And as we do, we'll start watching love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control manifest. And when you see that manifest, you'll never have to be concerned about getting a letter like Paul's sending back to this church right now. Because Paul would say, and I'd love to be able to say, what happened to you? Because it's good you could say, what? It's who happened to us. Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for Pastor Paul who wrote this with a broken heart for people that he knew personally. That he could see faces as he writes on this page. That he could think of people before they knew you, Jesus, and how they were. Drug-driven, lying, stealing, carousing, sexually loose, insecure, self-entitled, full of that what-about-me attitude, jealous, catty, gossiping, rotten, violent, angry, bitter, emotionally basket case. And then you got a hold of him. And you got a hold of him. Everything that was so complicated became so simple and perfect and pure. Because Jesus, you died to let that person die so that we could become a new creation that no longer is that other person that's desperate and lonely and Empty and depleted. So here we are, Lord, wanting never to revisit that person again. We don't want that person to ever exist anymore. But we confess to you, if we're honest, Lord, that somehow we have this weird way of dragging that dead body around every once in a while as if somehow there's a benefit to them. And we know it because we get there. We we start seeing those traces of who we were again. The addict, the lonely, the confused, the overwhelmed, the helpless, the hopeless, the bitter, the contentious, the whatever it is. God, it happens to all of us. I just ask your forgiveness for those moments when we're so stupid and we know we're being stupid. But I want to thank you, Lord, for this letter to remind us again it is never what you intended you've not intended our walk to be some form of um, some form of trampled.